tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. It's almost <laughs> as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, and today we are talking about chapters 15 and 16 of Carry On, in which we are in Simon's POV. We learn a little more about Baz's family, the mages reform, and that Baz is not present for the first day of class. Simon can't stop thinking about this. Uh, chapter 16, still Simon. Three weeks later, still no Baz, but we meet Eb. Very exciting. It's so exciting. More, more time has passed, no Baz, and no mage either. Simon fills us in on the humdrum's terrible power, an even more terrible name, while he leaves a note for the mage to find him. Miss Possible, Dean of Students, finds Simon in the mage's office and lets Simon know that pretty much no one knows where Baz is. Simon is very upset by this. <laughs> I definitely described it as a temper tantrum in my notes. I mean, it is. It is basically, it is a temper tantrum. Yeah, so... We're going to start off, as always, with... Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't belong somewhere else. Um, I don't actually remember if we find this out in an earlier chapter, but Baz has the most ridiculous name. He sure does. It's very, I, don't, I put my notes waspy, even though, like, not really, but like. It's like, it's goth wasp. Right. It's like you live in, like, Connecticut and have too much money from your family and you live in a, like, beautiful, maybe not Victorian house, colonial house that's been there since, like, before the Revolutionary War. For the record, that's... it is a Victorian house. Baz's house. You're right. (laughs) They have a conversation where Simon calls it gothic and Baz is like, it's Victorian. (laughs) Gotta know your uh, your architecture there, Simon. Yeah. But yeah, Baz's name. Oh, wait, I should probably read it out for everyone. It is Tyrannus Basilton Grimpitch. Wait, did I did I miss something? All right. No, that's it. Which is such a mouthful of a name. (laughs) Please don't name your children. So oh, many God. names. I love it so much. I mean, Tyrannus is a pretty great name. I know. I tried to get you to name your kitten that, but you named him Ron, which is objectively a much worse name. For the record, Nicole named him Ron. I know, and I told her not to. We also meet two, uh, like, part human teachers in this set of chapters, which is cool. Uh, we meet a literal minotaur. Yes, what do you have next? Just that magical poli sci think seems like an important thing if uh, you're a chosen one to know. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do. 
that whole section gave me a lot of feelings because like Penny makes him take it because she's like, you're probably going to be a leader. And Simon's like, but I just kind of want to like tend goats. Like, I kind of don't want to do that at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just feel let this poor boy live. Um, yeah, let, let, him, let him just. Funny because Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, magical polycide does sound super relevant and also like probably very interesting. Um, I just like that Penny self identifies as Simon's dread companion. I'm into it. I felt that some from something, but it's very great. I'm like, it's such a great f- phrase that I'm like, yes, yeah, excellent, excellent way to identify yourself. Yeah, so. way better than sidekick. I also liked in that in that piece the acknowledgement that Penny's grades would definitely suffer as a result of being Simon's dread companion. Just like the reality of that I found very comforting and refreshing. Yeah, just like in real life, if you're dealing with serious real life shit, it's really hard to focus on academia. Yeah, and like priorities exist for a reason and like when you prioritize one thing something else often needs to be deprioritized and that's like both normal and okay yeah and like penny's penny will be fine like if she's not top of the class yeah totally like she has time to take some naps after trying to help simon not get murdered by a creature or something yeah so um speaking of magical creatures in this chapter, we get a reason about why the, like, dark creatures, like, hate the mag- the magicians. And so they're like, yeah, we're going to side with the insidious humdrum. Because, like, the vampires and the werewolves and the mer people, they just want the world to, like, be chaos and to feed off of regular people. The magicians have to, like, make sure that they don't do that. It is basically the premise of Buffy. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> point that out. <laughs> Uh, and it just made me laugh. Yeah, that's totally true. Can I... Were you as bothered as I was about the fact that the reason that magicians have to keep the dark creatures in check is not because it's, like, wrong for you to be able to do something about lots of people being harmed, and so you have a moral obligation to do so, but instead is because, like... We only have magic because normals talk a lot, and if they were dying willy-nilly, then we might not have magic anymore. And, like, that is the worst reason. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so it is the worst reason because then you have to take it to its logical conclusion, which is, well, then, if there was a way for magicians to have magic without regular people, like, what would happen? Exactly. So... Just be like, well... They're not important, so sure, have at it, werewolves and vampires. And then Buffy really would have to roll up in there and kill it. No, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> A bus full of slayers just pulls up in front of Watford. Oh yeah, she gives one of her rousing, inspirational speeches about moral obligation and I don't know, gumption and whatever. I really mm-hmm. wish that Buffy had even once said the word gumption. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, for her character, like, could have made sense because, I mean, she did get 
She got very high on her SATs, and I'm like, girl had a high vocabulary. I'll forget that. Anyway, sorry. This is very <laughs> on topic. Uh, but we are masters of uh, off-topic segues. This is true. Uh, that that actually was my last thing. All right, my last thing is that Penny is full of it in this scene with Simon and Agatha. She is overflowing with it in this scene with Simon and Agatha. She's out of fucking control. Like, I wanted to reach into the book and be like, buddy, like, you are, you're crossing some lines right now, and I'm gonna need you to stop because you're making everyone so unhappy, and that's not good or kind of you. And, like, unnecessarily... Totally. It's like, you didn't have to be that mean. Right. Like, and Simon's clearly being like, stop. And if she wants to have that conversation with Agatha, she could do it in private and straightforwardly instead of yeah. just like these totally unsubtle, but like, like underhanded, like heavy hinted digs at Agatha and whatever. And she's like, I'm not, I'm not here for this. Right. And it's it's frustrating because I think if Agatha knew what where Baz was, she probably would have told someone. Agatha doesn't seem like the kind of person to be like, oh, yeah, he's just in trouble somewhere. And so, you know, I'm just going to keep that to myself. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think there's any indication that Penny legitimately thinks that Agatha knows something. She's just using it as an opportunity to, like, call her out in a really shitty way. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to... I see a little silhouette of a man. I see a little silhouette of a man where we talk about uh, character profiles. A better thing for what we talk about here, where we just talk about characters that we meet and things that we notice about them. That's not succinct at all. Whatever. We'll figure something out. Let's Listen. talk about Eb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Eb, as we have, we, fin- we finally meet Eb, who we, of course, up until this point, I suspect is the only adult totally in Simon's corner without there being strings attached. Mm-hmm. Um is in fact an actual goat herder. This is not a title that it's like, oh, you're a goat herder, but it's yes, you just like have a garden. Like we we meet Eb and she is like petting a baby goat mm-hmm. and like tends goats in the hills of Watford that are also really good for maintaining the lawn, which is very true. You can in fact rent some goats to mow your lawn. Yeah, they're also like really great for like invasive plant remediation because they can like eat brambles and stuff so the whole like they keep the aggressive plants in order thing is totally accurate yeah i mean yeah goats will goats eat whatever the fuck and they're fine they're also a really like ethical and sustainable thing for us to eat as people so if you have access to goat and you care about sustainable meat eating that's a great option yeah, I would love to have some uh, meat goats. Oh my god! One day, that was like the one thing that I had access to. No, not the one. One of many things actually that I can't had easy access to at farmers markets in New Orleans that I've never had anywhere else. But I ate so much fucking goat when I lived in New Orleans. It was so great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. 
so yeah, Eb, Eb actually has goats. Simon also compares her to ER because she is, in his words, like always crying. Mm-hmm. And in my words, clinically depressed and wish she could get some help with her chronic grief and depression issues. Yeah. I mean, I guess probably hanging out with goats and like talking to people maybe is fine. I mean, I think she would really benefit from counseling that she like can't can't get, which really sucks. So, I mean, we obviously we love her for reasons that will come up later in the book. But I want to like just right off the bat, I want us to be reading her as a trans woman, which I have have always. I feel like. It's weird to me that it's, like, not canon, and it's, <laughs> I don't know, I, like, sometimes I'm like, I should just, like, write to Rainbow Rowell and be like, quick, before the third book comes out, could you just do this? <laughs> so, because we'll learn later that Eb is a twin, theoretically a fraternal twin, uh, she has a twin brother, but they look so identical that they can be mistaken for each other, which is not how fraternal twins work, so I'm just, I want to, like... Escape from Reality Canon, Eb is trans. Cool. Is that good? Yeah. Cool. Also, it makes sense because Hagrid is trans and Eb is Hagrid, so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like, uh, okay, so I think the internet has coined a term to describe the kind of ladies that Eb and Hagrid are, which is cottagecore. Totally. (laughs) And I'm like, nothing is more queer than cottagecore. So I'm like, yeah, obviously. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely and Eb is also canonically queer she is a, a canon lesbian we we do meet her describing having a very severe butch haircut yes yes <laughs> but apparently she's been in in love with a dryad for like 20 years or something like that which is also really cute and sad I don't know I think because I don't think it's it's a requited love situation which probably would be really good for her mental health but yeah, dryads are real weird. Yeah, especially in this book. They're like anime characters. I can't wait till we meet a dryad. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I have one more thing okay. uh, about Eb that maybe you also have, which is she has already peeped uh, Simon and Baz's obsession as not being enemies. <laughs> totally. <laughs> She's just like, uh-huh, yeah, it's been a really long time since you've tried to murder one another. And Simon's like, no, we've been saving it up for the And day. she literally says, quote, so you were saving it and he didn't come back for it? <laughs> uh, she went home later that day to be like, these teenagers I know. are so dead. <laughs> Like, you literally said that with your mouth, Simon, and you didn't hear yourself. Guess, yes, totally. <laughs> she also calls him out on the fact that he, like, routinely watches Baz play soccer. She She's not having it, and he's so oblivious, and it's, so, it's just so great. It is very, it is very cute. And it's also just like Simon. <sighs> uh, I can't wait till we get to the sexy section. But for now, let's talk about politics. All right. Well, 
welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about political stuff and anything that's fucked up. We get a lot of politics in this section. Poli- like, in-world politics. Yeah. Which is, we find out more about Bez's family, the pitches. Mm-hmm. And basically, like in real life, being rich and powerful and assuming you're going to be in charge because you are rich and powerful. Yeah. So. And nepotism. So much nepotism. Yeah. And just and just sort of the idea, and just like sort of the thing of like, I mean, yeah, they would be literal royalty if anyone took it to that step. But it basically, you don't have to because everyone just knows that they're in power. Right. Also, like in real life. That is a thing that they're not going to forget or let go of easy, you know? Totally. Yeah, it is. It's very familiar. It's interesting, I think, that IRL in, at least in the U.S., and, like, I don't know a whole lot about political stuff in other other places so much, but, you know, wealthy white people are in charge, whether it's, like, apparent or not, because, like, they can by the people who are objectively in power and so it's like in this world up until recently they just also were objectively in power and now they're like really apparently like losing it about the fact that they someone is in power that they can't buy which is really interesting to think about it's against like I hate the mage, but also it's like, ooh, what if we had someone in power who couldn't be bought? How dreamy would that be? <laughs> I mean, it. I feel like it'd be someone like the mage. I feel like honestly, someone who is has very strong convictions. Some of them might be, some of them would be good, and some of them would be shitty. Yeah. So I, I just like really can't imagine that not happening. But it is great to think about the idea of someone who's just like, yeah, I don't actually want your money. Yeah. But I also feel like part of it is that, like, this is also kind of what happens when people are in power. Like, oh, shit, we were freaked out. Let's just uh, get this uh, militant in in an emergency session and, like, not really think it through. That that'll, that'll, that won't backfire on us at all. Right. <laughs> like... Yeah, overcorrecting. That's what, that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, that is exactly the word. Yeah, like, you know, that always uh, turns out real well. <laughs> Overcorrecting still results in car accidents. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> it's not, you gotta try for not, for not doing that. Um, right. But now that the mage is in and he's instituted, not they're not being fucked up standardized testing, essentially, and like a ton of fees to go to Watford. And all these other people who would never have been able to got in before can go. Like, even if the pitches were back in power, like, that's, like, you can't just go back to being, like, only, like, rich humans, 100% humans. I mean, hopefully. Ideally. Yeah, let's talk about the mage's reforms. He eliminated fees. He got rid of the trials to get in. Though We only really hear about the ones that are Watford-related here, which is, it's interesting. Yeah, but uh, I do agree that a lot of schools should be uh, uh, eliminating barriers that people can get in, like getting rid of testing that really only uh, that is geared towards a certain mm, people from a certain background. Yeah, and uh, really expensive fees. Yeah, education should be free. 
It should be free. I actually am pretty excited that a lot of colleges are slowly but surely beginning to get rid of like GRE and shit to go, at least for grad schools and like a lot of like colleges aren't like necessarily looking at like the ACTs and the SATs and shit. That's really those, cool. All those tests that. are racist as shit and <laughs> expensive to pass because you have to take all that special courses, which are really only so really people who can afford to learn how to take those tests do well. I mean, not everyone, but like definitely a, uh, it's definitely skewed towards people who are way in middle class. I never took either of those. So I only know secondhand about what they're like, which sounds terrible. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the mage is a piece of shit, but this is a really great thing that he did. Yep. Yep. In non- Wait, are you, do you have other, like, actual politics stuff? Okay, so the other political in terms of, like, it's fucked up thing that I want to talk about is the fact that Simon is now afraid to talk to the mage, one of the only people that he used to find, like, comfort and support in, because he thinks the mage is going to send him away. And, I mean, even though I don't want Simon talking to the mage, the fact that, like, he's living with this fear of talking to someone that, is so important to him hurts my heart like it makes me really sad right it's, yes and especially because it sounds like the maid would like up until this point be communicating with simon a lot while he's at school and for him to just basically up and leave and not like drop simon a note or write a letter or be like i got some super secret magic shit to do but i'll catch you in like a month like it's just like okay bye and, like, nothing, like, radio silence is, like, super fucked up. Yeah, I hate it. And it's, like, I feel like probably not even just, like, the usual sort of manipulative bullshit the mage is doing. I think that it's just, like, not in his radar to be, like, oh, and by the way, Simon. Right. I'm not going to be around much. Yeah, I also feel like, to me, the mage reads like he has narcissistic personality disorder. And part, like, one of the things that comes with that is, like, any perceived, like, slight or rejection makes you be like, well, fuck you all the way to the moon. Like, I'm not talking to you anymore. And Simon defied him. And so I feel like the mage, despite the fact that Simon is a child, is like, well, I'm done. Like, I'm he's, like, not even thinking about Simon anymore because Simon, like hurt his feelings and now he just is like well i'm not gonna talk to you yeah i can totally see that the mage reminds me of my dad (laughs) i'm about to say i've had my unfortunate share of relationships with narcissists because i seem to attract them apparently and yeah yep (laughs) fun times Uh, anyway everyone everyone learned to spot a narcissist and i'm sorry yeah, and if you are a narcissist, look, there's very good effective therapy to help you work through how to be in relationship with others and, like, not take that experience out on them. So, like, go get therapy. You're not, uh, what's the word? You're not irredeemable. There's opportunities available to you. Seize those opportunities. Shall we go talk <laughs> about sex and crushes? Yeah, sexy stuff.
Welcome to Send Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about feelings and body feelings and hormones and the fact that Baz is gone and Simon is losing his whole entire mind. I mean, he's he's counting the weeks. It has been six weeks in chapter 16 because he's been counting them. Yeah. And just, I just have in all caps in my notes, gay pining. 100%. Because <laughs> Simon just doesn't know what to do about his feelings about the fact that no one knows where Baz is and no one seems to care as much as he is caring right now. And like everyone around him is calling him out on the fact that he has this crush. Penny literally says, don't blame us because you're confused. (laughs) Eb is like, you were saving it and he didn't come back for it. (laughs) Neal, I don't know how you say that. Neal, Neal, Baz's friend is like, aren't you supposed to be happy? that he's gone like every miss possible every single person that simon interacts with about this agatha's like he doesn't even have to be here to drive you crazy or whatever she says like they're all like excuse me simon snow are you aware of the fact that you are madly in love with tyrannus basilton grim bitch and he just is like so oblivious and it's so funny because If you've lived with more than a handful of roommates, maybe you've had the feeling where you're like, oh my God, that roommate is gone for a week. Hell yeah. You know, there isn't even the like, oh, cool. I could like hang out in my, I can hang out naked because no one is around. Like there isn't even that like initial bit of like, oh, cool. This person I don't really care about is. Or like they move out and you're like, I need to juniper, like smoke cleanse my whole entire house (laughs) and like sing ding dong, the witch is dead. (laughs) Like for sure. Yes. I, I think we all who have lived collectively are like, know what it actually feels like when someone that you legitimately dislike goes away and you don't have to live with them anymore yeah and this isn't it (laughs) yeah even even for people who like i didn't like and like even if they were like gone and like no one knew i'd be like meh they'll show up eventually yeah yeah just and just simon just goes a hundred percent into but where is he why isn't he here yeah it's for for class why does his friends know where he's at yeah and like is he doing this to torture me baby boy <laughs> it's like you're it's like you're also torturing yourself enough so i just like best is need to do shit for you to already just be in like a ball of knots over where bass yep <sighs> and then the the whole situation it's like i called it petulant where he's like well if he's not gonna fucking show up i'm gonna practice my sword play on his side of the room i'm like I know. I can't even verbalize what that makes me feel. It's like, uh uh-huh, right, Simon, you you show him. Yeah, he hates this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. It's just, it's so good. And then, right, and then we get to chapter 16 where he's talking to Miss Miss Possibeth. Possibeth because she's possibly an elf. Yes, Possible. it's a very silly name. This is this is hell for someone like me who already has a hard and a hard enough time pronouncing words that are real. <laughs> uh, anyway, even she's just like, 
dude, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's the dean of students. She should maybe legitimately be more concerned than she is telling Simon about one of the students being gay. Yeah, but she has boundaries. And it's like, I'm not supposed to talk to you about this, which I'm like, way to have, way to go. Like, great work doing the thing. And she's obviously like our McGonagall, right? And I feel like McGonagall would be like, this is none of your business. Yeah. You need to stop. Yeah. She's a very strong presence in a very severe hairstyle. (laughs) Yes. Also, she sounds just like great to be around. Yeah. I feel like I got like some some big like mommy energy off of her and i was like oh, i just think i want yeah. you to like hug me <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. can i pretend to be sick and you can like bring me some soup or something it would be great <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> welcome to escape from reality where we learn about all of my issues <laughs> uh, lark has parent problems um L- listen i feel like it's you're literally not the only one in this podcast <laughs> i know i just didn't i didn't want to like i didn't want to speak for you yeah i wasn't i wasn't being like i'm alone in this i just didn't want to like bring your issues into it without your no I, I i i appreciate that that's why i had to be like oh uh, yes we're we're both in this very funny weird boat <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes, also that. But yeah, so much so much pining. Yeah, my last note is just about the, the temper tantrum that Simon has after Miss Possibelf is like, yeah, Baz's dad sounded like pretty upset. And Simon's like, I literally can't do anything with these feelings except like physically like chop down a tree, which is... Right, with, with, with his magical sword, which is... Magical swords aren't what you use to chop trees down. So, and he... Simon was just like, I just need to literally run wherever and just take out all of these feelings onto a tree. Yeah. And you're like, my dude. Which, honestly, good. That's way better than the internalizing that he usually does. Maybe not great for the sword, but... I think if it wasn't a magic sword, yeah. Does he need to sharpen a magic sword? Probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. Probably a waste of that magic, though, dude. Simon's always like what a waste of magic people do to like color their eyes or whatever and it's like you are literally using a magic sword to destroy a tree to deal with your gay pining Mm -hmm. like Simon this is yeah isn't there a gym at Watford that you could go like hit a punching bag or you know something designed for taking your feelings out on yeah I mean they're playing football you could go kick the ball around I don't feel like that's as satisfying as like hitting a thing personally. That's fair. But there has to be a gym at this fancy ass school. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's got to be. I mean, if they have sports, there's got to be some kind of like weird gym situation. Yeah. All right. So you have a fantasy, yeah? I do. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about the nitty gritty of magic slash magical creatures, etc. Right. So in this chapter, we learn about the insidious humdrum Mm. and the magical dead spots that the humdrum creates that create kind of like 
these kind of spots where the where there's just all of the magic from the earth and the ambient stuff around it is gone and it appears to cut off magicians from their magic. Mm-hmm. Simon describes it sort of as like the air being sucked out of the of a room. And part of why it is called the insidious humdrum is that it just makes the magicians feel so regular and boring and normal and mm-hmm. they just fucking hate it. And so I was thinking about this and trying to like imagine sort of what the not magical version of this would be, like what that kind of feeling would be like. So of course you would think like a sensory deprivation tank of some kind, you know, but they use those therapeutically, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, obviously you could use it to really fuck someone up, but but what, what I was actually thinking about is that there's this like test facility in Minnesota where they have, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the quietest place on earth. And it, it's, like, full of, like, all this, like, weird shit to make it basically totally silent. And what is so interesting about being in this room is that it sounds like no one has been able to sit in it for longer than 45 minutes. Hmm. Because it's so, it's so quiet. Like, you're not, like, hearing your footsteps. You're not hearing, like, any ambient sound around you. So after a while, you just start, like, hearing, like, your heart and, like, your internal organs and, like... And all like the weird ambient stuff in your body that you normally can't hear. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's really disturbing and upsetting for a lot of people. Even the guy who designed it is like, I can't even be in there for more than half an hour because he has like a heart valve that like clicks that he can hear when he's in that room. Whoa. Yeah. So that's... You know, that's like sort of like the same but opposite of the thing that I was thinking about comparing it to, which is when... I think I'm about to spoil some Doctor Who stuff for you, but when... Clara is dead and and the doctor like brings her back but she's like trapped in a moment between seconds she's like something is wrong with my hearing and it's like really bothering her and he's like it's not like something that you are hearing it's something that you're not hearing because like your your heart isn't beating like you're moving but you're like technically exist in this like space in time that doesn't exist and so like you Mm. can't hear your heart which like we would all hear if we thought about it but like obviously you just you just tune out ambient sounds like that's what you have to do Mm. and so that's what i was thinking about when i thought about this right which is like the same thing that you went to but no, I mean, but it, I mean, it, I do understand like the difference though. Cause yeah, like, I mean, you can always hear the kind of like whoosh in your ears of like your blood pumping, you know? And like, if you couldn't hear that, it would be really distracting. Cause like you would, you've never not heard that. Exactly. Sound, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like it's I- identical and also opposite to the thing that your mind went to, which is really cool. And I think yeah. probably means that we're both right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we're, I mean, yes, we are both right in that like, even if you're not magical, uh, there's still there's still like certain background awareness that you're that you like you don't even think about until it's not there. I also think it might be like a limb falling asleep, like when your arm is like so asleep that it's not even prickly, like you just like can't even tell that it's there anymore, mm. and how just like utterly bizarre that feeling is, where you're like I can like see it right there, but like I can't move like I'm not like my brain isn't aware of it currently like that's also a super weird and disconcerting feeling 
I have to imagine that is maybe also what phantom limb syndrome feels like, where it just, it must just feel so disconcerting to like feel something. Like your brain is like, no, I feel it. But you're like, but no, it's not there. Right. And just like that sort of like weird mental. Yeah. And they do describe it like later in the book as something that is so profoundly disturbing that it will like wake people up out of a sleep like the feeling of the magic being gone um so it's not even like something that you're like cognizant of or you know necessarily like in any way constructing it's like a physical lack that happens and is so intense within your being that it'll right it'll like wake you up and you're like something is wrong which honestly is a really interesting way to describe magic as like like something that is in your physical body like always present even though you're not like using it like you're not like touching a magical object or using a wand like it's just it's there enough like a like right, gravity like or something yeah and for like it not to be there is so disconcerting physically that your brain is like wait no no something is very wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know that's it's so it's so layered and rich and it's I really know, i just really so like good. it it's so nice to talk about <sighs> it sure is bless this yeah. book <laughs> uh it's really great to talk about this book it sure is <laughs> uh also it was fun to look this up because you know how it is on the internet where someone's like if you were sitting someplace in absolute silence you would lose your mind after an hour and i'm like okay that is not true, obviously. And so having to find an actual accurate article for this was actually took a bit of time. Yeah, that's cool that you did. Because I, I think I remember like reading it or seeing it somewhere and just being like, that is so fascinating to think about. Because, mm-hmm. right, how many of us would actually ever be in a completely, the quietest room you could ever possibly physically be in? Honestly, the idea of it makes me feel claustrophobic regardless of the size of the room. Actually, it sounds, it turns out, I actually looked this up also on their website. They did do tours. You could like pay a bunch of money to like sit in the room. And part of me is, thinks it would be really interesting. And then part of me is, who knows myself, is like, I would probably like, it would probably just like trigger some kind of emotional flashback and I'd probably like have a breakdown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And on that note. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, we've laughed a lot for exposing so much of ourselves in this episode today. (laughs) Look, it's been an emotional fucking roller coaster of a month. And if you can't laugh at your mommy issues and your intense claustrophobia, what can you laugh at? Am I right? This is true. Yep. (laughs) This is so true. (sighs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we're going to be reading chapters 17, 18, and 19. So read those over the next two weeks. And before we get into all of our normal outro stuff, I want to give a shout out to Pose Like a Rose, Starling103, and Karis Clearwater for leaving us reviews on iTunes. It's super helpful for y'all to rate and review us 
kindly and with many stars uh, because it helps people decide to listen to the podcast when they go look at it. So, you know, make our day, go leave us a review. Um, And I also want to let you know that this Friday, the 26th of June at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, we will be doing a live tweet of Muppet Treasure Island on Twitter. So make sure you're following us on Twitter at The Gaily Prophet and, uh, you know, watch along with us. It's going to be a kale time. for a reason I, to use that, that literally just came into my head and i was like as i said it i was like i kind of hate myself for the oh i love it so much actually it's great yes sure it sure will um yeah don't don't miss us gush about um tim curry in a pirate costume yes, yes thank you wow words have just literally Escape me today. Look, it's Mercury retrograde, everyone. You can't, don't judge us for anything that's happening right now. Oh my God. Yes, we are, in fact, recording during Mercury retrograde, which is a thing that we honestly try not to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, uh, even if you don't watch along, which I don't know why you wouldn't, it's going to be a good time. It'll be funny. Yeah, it definitely will. Uh, so speaking of that, make sure you're following us on all social platforms at The Gaily Prophet, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, also The Gaily Prophet Podcast on Tumblr. Also, our website is thegailyprophet.com. Uh, if you, if you want to support us, uh, we have a, we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprophet. Every episode of Escape from Reality comes out early and with bonus clips in it that doesn't go up on the main feed. So if you want that, that is available on Patreon every month. Mm-hmm. Every two weeks, in fact. <laughs> if you are interested in following me on the internet, my website is larkmalakai.com. That's L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I.com. And that is also my Instagram username. So you can follow me there too. Uh, yeah, if you want to read about me do talking about talking shit on the internet, uh, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at uh, Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at live from Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time, Scatamoosh! Scatamoosh.